I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I'll read from our passage today, Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Thank you, Jenna. Today I want to talk about the Thanksgiving that doesn't count. As I said before, this is the month of gratitude, and we're going to have testimonies like Brian just gave and estimated giving cards, uh, which we'll challenge you to fill out. Uh, But I want to tell you about the great theologian Charlie Brown. Is he up there yet? The great theologian Charlie Brown said, the most beautiful way to start and end a day is with a grateful heart. Amen? I mean, there's something about being thankful, and living your life from a grateful and a thankful heart. And I really want our church and our generation to be a grateful generation. Uh, Psalm 100, verse 4, enter your gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Ephesians 5, 20, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then uh, Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But sometimes, like I said before, our thanksgiving doesn't count. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Do you remember the television commercial? It was a while back for Citibank with two ladies in the grocery store, and the one puts her hand on the other's tummy and asks when the baby is due. And the woman looks at her like she's crazy and says, I'm not pregnant. And not knowing what else to say, the woman replies back, thank you. And with a simple thank you, 
all offense is forgiven. And then they embrace. And Citibank's tag said, it's amazing what a simple thank you can do. And it is amazing what a thank you can do. But the lady in the commercial was kind of disingenuous with her thanksgiving. She wasn't real, and it really didn't count. And Jesus told this story that Jana just read that proves even when we give thanks to God, it may not count for anything unless we give thanks with the right attitude. And that's my main point today. That's the big idea For thanksgiving to count, we must give thanks with a right attitude. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector tells us that both went to to pray at the same place at the same time, but each one came with a very different attitude, and as a result, only the man who came with the right attitude went away right with God. And the humble man cried in repentance while the arrogant man boasted in self-righteousness. And the humble man's prayer was a plea for help. And the arrogant man thanked God that he needed no help. And verse 9 tells us to whom this story is directed. It says that Jesus spoke a parable uh, to we who are arrogant and trust in ourselves for righteousness or or in the NIV version, confident of our own righteousness and, and people that look down on everybody else. And so the thanksgiving that doesn't count, first of all, is arrogant. Can't you see this reflected in the Pharisees' prayer? Who said in verses 11 and 12, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. You know, God, I thank you. He was thankful. That I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Thank God I'm not a sinner like that guy. You know, the church of Jesus Christ has been fooled many times by those who look the part and play the role, but we tend to forget, though the Pharisee boasted of many religious badges of honor, Jesus' story tells us that in the end, you know, when the smoke clears and when the dust settles, the Pharisee's thanksgiving really didn't count. And Jesus tells us that no matter how much thanksgiving is verbalized either today or during this month of uh, the month of gratitude. If we don't come with humbleness, we will not leave here right with God because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I think that's repeated about three or four times in scripture. Look it up in a concordance. You see, this message must have floored its original listeners even more so than now. I think it just blew them away. I mean, the full impact is lost to us because we know too well that Jesus often condemned the self-righteous behaviors of the Pharisees. When we hear the word Pharisee, we hear the word hypocrite. When they heard the word Pharisee, they heard the word hero. You know, if we try to modernize the characters, we could tell the story maybe a little bit like this. Two men went up to the church to pray. One was Billy Graham, and the other was a child molester. I mean, it was that shocking For Jesus to say that a first century taxman would have been accepted over a Pharisee. But that's about the equivalent of what Jesus said. We also notice in verse 9 that verse 9 tells us that Jesus not only uh, is talking to people who trusted in themselves to be right with God, you know, in their own righteousness, uh, someone who is arrogant, but also secondly, somebody who looks down on everybody else. 
you know, who despises others. And so the thanksgiving that doesn't count is arrogant, but it's also the one that despises others. You see, self-righteousness, arrogant type, despise others. It's like they don't want people to be saved. Or they won't love people, really, until they are saved. You know, we forget about Romans 5, 8, don't we? But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes, you know, if we've been Christians a long time, sometimes we can get that holier-than-thou attitude where we won't even associate with somebody who's not a believer, even though Jesus was a friend of sinners. And that's one thing they didn't like about Jesus. Luke 15 tells the story, doesn't it? At the beginning, it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered that this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus tells the parables about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. I mean, sometimes we're almost like Jonah. You know, we want God to destroy the wicked rather than have the wicked repent and come to a saving faith in Christ. And we can get this hard heart. We can almost wish that San Francisco would fall into the Pacific or that all the homosexuals would get AIDS and die. That'll show them. Or we may look at a young girl who's pregnant out of wedlock and say, well, she made her bed, now she's going to sleep in it. Or we may be so fired up against abortion, and rightfully so, and want Roe versus Wade reversed, but we haven't given a dime to shelters for unwed moms or crisis pregnancy centers, or volunteered any time to help. And by the way, I pray that some of you would join me at 1 o'clock today as we close out our 40 days for life in front of the abortion clinic with a worship service. I think of churches. Churches can be self-righteous. I mean, we can rate one another on our scales of arrogance and scorn. You know, one may say, well, our church has the Holy Spirit meaning that others don't. Or our church has mission hearts, meaning that we care better than those people. Or our church is theologically sound and grounded, meaning that we don't cater to shallowness like your church. And what about denominationalism? Or even competitive spirits when it comes to like building projects and programs and ministries? And what about racism? And our pharisaical hearts shout that We're good enough to come to an extra prayer service, uh, offer thanks and praise, and smugly wonder why everybody's not here. Where is everybody? Don't take me wrong. I think everybody should be praying on Tuesdays at noon when we pray. I think everybody should be praying Saturdays at 8 o'clock when we pray and we have a quarterly prayer meeting. But sometimes we can get pretty smug about things. Even pastors can get this way. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm the only one who can really lead worship. Baloney. I thought those guys did a great job. You know, I'm the only one who can really preach the word. Baloney. I'm the only one that can really teach this Sunday school class. It's, you know, it's hard to be humble, isn't it, when you're just perfect in every way. I mean, why did the Apostle Paul, after preaching the gospel and planting churches in Asia Minor and writing scripture, why and how, why did he call himself the least of the apostles and the least of God's people and at the very end the chief of sinners because he was a humble man without the right attitude our thanksgiving has become nothing but self-centeredness self-righteousness and self-congratulatory prayers that do not count
Jesus' parable tells us that our arrogance and despise for our brothers and sisters in Christ and lack of compassion for those who do not know Christ will not be justified in the church. We will not leave here right with God until we have become humbled as the man who fell on his knees and saw his need was greater than all he could boast about. You know who Charlie Tremendous Jones was? kind of a funny, he's a real character, he's gone now, but he really had a way with words. He says, the more you try to be better, the more you learn to act like you're better, and the better you act like you are, the more you really stink. When you thank God, a few people give up, uh, when, when thank God, a few people give up acting like they're better and start doing something, and the more you do, the better you grow to be. And the better you grow to be, the more you think you stink. That's a good reason for you to be glad that you think you stink. I'd rather be wonderful thinking I stink than think I'm wonderful and really stink. Okay, I don't know if you got that. Let's move on. In South America, the llama is this cultural metaphor for arrogance. To keep a herd of llamas corralled, you don't even need a fence, I'm told. All you need is a one rope circling around the herd to keep them enclosed, just by placing it at a height just beneath the head and above uh, the neck, above the base of the neck, the llamas are secured in this makeshift pen. Rather than stooping beneath the rope, the proud llamas stand tall, but they remain captive. So biblically, we're used to being called sheep, you know, we're the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100. And that's not really a compliment if you know anything about sheep, but perhaps a better picture for us at times would be the llama. We can be so stiff-necked and proud like llamas, you know, refusing to forgive, refusing to love, refusing to obey the Lord, refusing to compromise on the non-essential issues, and we're confined because we refuse to humble ourselves, to condescend, to get down on our knees. We remain roped off from true righteousness and held as spiritual captives because we will not humble ourselves. We are not free to be where Christ would have us, not because of job loss, not because of poverty, not because of the success of the bigger church down the road, not because of our culture, but because we're simply captivated and we're held captive because we as Christians are too full of ourselves and too critical of one another. And God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And James writes, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, there is hope for us. It's in the example of the humble tax collector who stood, you know, afar off. And he would... Not so much as even raise his eyes up to heaven, but he just beat his breast saying, God, you know, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, Jesus said, this man, this man went back to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I think this works out in real life later on in this uh, book of Luke in the 
well, actually, later on in the 18th chapter here in Luke, uh, remember the handsome, morally upright, rich, young ruler, he came seeking Jesus, expecting the Lord to kind of tip his hat to his very religious lifestyle, but instead of affirming his entitlement to heaven, the Lord asked the man to humble himself first with his riches. And when the man refused, he went away sorrowful, kind of unsure of his salvation, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And Jesus knew that beneath this whitewashed wall and the ceremonial religious lifestyle was this small thin rope encircling him and his riches that he was unable to cross. Sure, the young man, he did a lot of good things. I mean, he lived a good life, but, you know, ultimately that doesn't count because he refused to bow beneath the rope of humility, falling before Jesus and saying, you know, I have nothing really, Jesus, that hasn't been given to me by your good hand. Thank you, God, for every provision. I haven't earned anything really myself. It all belongs to you. He needed simply to give thanks with the right attitude. And it matters not if you come to God with righteous robes, you know, filled with your church roll badges, or whether you come with this jagged history and without even a clean shirt, you can leave here right with God. If you come to Jesus with humble thanksgiving, not with arrogance, but with love for one another, and not with boasts of accumulation, but with cries of God's provision. Consider this invitation wisely because Jesus' parable was an indictment against seemingly righteous people who thought they were saved, but in actuality, they were very far from the presence of God that we are experiencing right now today. And the choice is clear. Will we continue to remain hostage to arrogance or we will choose will we choose to humble ourselves before Christ? And the promise of God is just as clear, which says, you know, if my people, not if all the pagans, but if my people would just, who are called by my name, would just humble themselves, and if they would just pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. And as we come together during this month of gratitude, and even this year for Thanksgiving, you know, with our families and friends on November 28th, that's Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, we will sit at tables just overstuffed, won't we, with the finest food on earth. And it's at those times that we do come with the right attitude, I think. I mean, we would never look at the big spread and say, look what we've amassed for ourselves, you know, or look at that, you know, three more pies than the Johnsons down the street. You know, We would not boast about our accumulation. Instead, we would say, look at what the Lord has provided. You know, without pretense, without prejudice, we would look beyond what we have to the vision of where we could be if not for the great mercy of God, if not for his great grace. Now, if we can have the right attitude of thanksgiving around the table, why can't we have that same sense about our salvation? Jesus, I'm lost without you. I am lost without you, without the shedding of your blood that we're going to celebrate in just a minute. 
There is no salvation. My righteousness, what I think is good and right and righteous, it's like a filthy rag in your sight. I need you, Jesus. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your deliverance and your blood and your righteousness and your salvation. I need you, Jesus. Think about Jesus. Even though he was rich and he became poor, For our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. He who knew no sin, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The just one died for the unjust to bring us to God. And Philippians says that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. He exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The good news is that through the blood of Jesus, we can leave here right with God. And that's what we're reminded about today with Holy Communion. What's your attitude like? Does your thanksgiving count? Are you in a spiritual prison? Because you refuse to bow beneath the rope of arrogance and pride and that me-centered life. You know, humble yourself. Confess your sin to God. Claim Christ as your own. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. I just want to read uh, Paul's words to Timothy. It just describes his heart and how he felt about what we were just singing about. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the Worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen.